All right. Good evening, everybody. And it is good to be back. We have enjoyed ourselves, and it's been a blessing. And uh pastor's been real good to us. He took us out last night and fed us. And then someone from the church took us out today and fed us. And uh, have him take some deep breaths here. I'm full. Amen. And uh, so, but it's good. And uh, can you actually help me with one thing? <laughs> do you think, uh, no. Uh, do you think uh, somebody uh, Sunday had a little music stand down here? Did I get that? Um, I'm gonna, I, I know it's a weird thing. I just feel uh, like I want to be with you. You know, if I'm going to talk to my wife, I don't, I don't get on the other side of the room and talk to her. I go sit next to her. And so I'm going to come down there and, and, the, and the, oh, it's right there. Uh, come down there and be with the common folk. I'm just kidding. I'm going to come down there and hang out with you all tonight. And, uh, but you can turn to Genesis if you want. Genesis chapter 3. We'll just flip through. We are going to look at several verses. I have to thank you so much. Why did you look nervous when I called on you there, brother? All right, Genesis chapter 3, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and we're going to get started, and I think this will be a blessing to you, and um, I think it will give you a little bit of, I really do hope tonight to give you some insight uh, to some, some things that you may have never had a reason to think of it that way before, and, uh, but I think that once you do get this insight, you'll see some things about the Christian life a little bit differently. And so I hope that will be a blessing to you. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for what a good time we had yesterday in the Lord's house, God. And uh, uh, Lord, people getting saved is what it's all about, Lord. Your son came to seek and to save that which was lost. Lord, he died on that cross to redeem sinful man back to you, Father. And it happened yesterday. And we're so thankful for it. And God, I pray that you would bless the preaching of your word tonight. God, I pray that you would use the truth of the Scripture, Lord, and uh, you would uh, uh, use it just to help uh, the hearer tonight to live for you. And, Lord, any, uh, any work that you need to do in the hearts of the believer tonight, I pray, God, that uh, you would accomplish your will and your work. Lord, I don't want to get in your way. And so I yield myself to you and ask you to bless now in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look here at Genesis chapter 3. We'll just read verse 1, and we're going to put something together. I should have told you a couple of these references, but Genesis 3, we're going to, then we're going to go to Revelation, okay? So Genesis 3, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now notice the, the first negative influence here on mankind uh, that took place was was the devil here, right? And we talked about that a little bit Sunday morning. And uh, uh, but I want you to notice here that uh, it's just interesting that the first description of Satan in the Bible, Genesis three, God calls him a serpent. So uh, let's just hold that thought. Revelation twelve nine. Revelation twelve nine. And uh, if if I say a verse and you don't have time to get there, don't worry about that at all. Uh, I think that he's putting them on the screen, or he was. But uh, Revelation 12, 9, uh, if you're not there, just go ahead and listen to me, and I'll read it to you. It says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old, what's the next word there? Serpent. Serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So that snake in the garden had a, has a name, and it's the devil. All right, and God calls the snake a devil. Okay, we're developing a thought here. Revelation 20, verse 2, is a little bit similar. 
But if you go to Revelation 20, verse 2, it says, And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a, th- a thousand years. And so the Bible starts and ends with stories about that old serpent. Now, uh, I don't know if, uh, I don't even know if you really know this, but uh, I happen to know a thing or two about snakes. So before I was called to preach, I actually was a biology major, and I wanted to be a herpetologist. Anybody know what a herpetologist is? What is it? Stuff that crawls? Yeah, you're kind of right. She's actually kind of right. Uh, it's uh, reptiles and amphibians, and so she's, she's actually right. Um, reptiles and amphibians. And so I wanted to be a herpetologist. And I know right now you're already saying, man, this guy really is weird. I get it. I know. I know. And so I actually have a snake at home right now. He's a ball python. And Liam has a bearded dragon. And the, both the kids have some little anoles, those little lizards that turn green or brown, you know. And, and uh, uh, this guy was trying to talk me into a tarantula. And I was saying, no way, no way you're getting a tarantula. Then come to find out he was just messing with me the whole time because he knows I don't like spiders. He doesn't really want a tarantula. But I do like... <sighs> I don't. I don't want to say I like snakes, but because people who like snakes are weird, right? And uh, but I do. I like snakes. Okay. And so and she and others have said, oh, you should incorporate snakes into your into your preaching. And I'm like, no, man. Everybody knows people who like snakes are weird. I don't want everybody to think I'm weird. But the truth is, is I do. I always have since I was a little kid. And at one time, I had a I had over 30 snakes in my bedroom when I was a teenager. And uh, and so my my hero when I was a teenager, when I was 12, 13, 14 years old, was a guy named Steve Irwin. Anybody remember that guy? Do we have a picture of him? There he is. There's Steve. I wanted to be just like Steve Irwin, but with longer shorts. <laughs> and, uh, but I saw the first time I seen him, he actually didn't even have anything to do with reptiles. He was on a, on a Jeep, riding, hanging on the side of a Jeep in the desert in Australia with a lasso chasing camels. So camels aren't actually from Australia, and so they tag them and stuff like that and try to control the population because they're a non-indigenous species. And so, and so he's riding on the side of a jeep with a lasso, and he ropes this camel, jumps off the moving jeep, and runs circles around the camel, yanks the camel's legs t- tight together, tackles the camel, and jumps on top of the camel. And I thought to myself, I love him. I want to be him. And I don't even know why I like that, but that's what I wanted to do with my life. And, and, um, and I had all these animals. I had uh, over 30 snakes in my room. I've had, I've had uh, you know, lizards and turtles and an alligator. I had all these things, right? I've been bitten by everything. I've been bitten by uh, iguanas and uh, uh, geckos, and, and uh, I've been bitten by lizards. I've been bitten by, actually, one of the worst bites I ever got was, was, uh, it was a surprise to me. So I actually had, you know those plastic inserts you can get for your garden is like a little pond and you dig the hole out and you put the whole plastic insert in now you have a nice garden well i had one in my bedroom and it had alligator in it right i mean why not right have an alligator in your room next to your bed right and uh but it had some turtles in there and it had alligator and but you know they're kind of weird shaped and something fell behind it and i was trying to get it and so i i stepped into the pond barefoot and I'm reaching over, and I'm watching that alligator. Because he, he already bit me once. He bit me right on my, my ring finger here. And just one tooth popped in down to the bone there. And, and, uh, but I came back with the finger, so that's good, right? I'm reaching down for it, and I'm watching the alligator. And this stupid turtle comes over and bites my toe, bites the tip of my toe off, right? 
And so, uh, but that was, that, was my, that was my teenage years. That's how I lived, was with all these animals. Uh, and I've been, been bitten by snakes. I had a boa that just had a bad attitude, a red-tailed boa. He bit me in the face one night. And, uh, and I was just plucking, like, little, sometimes her teeth break off. And I just had, like, little teeth stuck in my face. And I'm just sitting in the mirror. This is, this is what I do. I have snakes. And uh, uh, my mom, like, totally lost it when the blood was coming down my face and stuff. And uh, as I guess anybody would if somebody just got bit in the face by a snake. But so, you know, that's all, I, all, that was my upbringing, though. So, and then God called me to preach. And it was a crazy thing. You know, when I, liked, when I was so into the animals, I almost always thought, man, one day I'm going to go to Africa and I'm just going to study snakes in Africa. And I, I know, right, that's that introvert I was telling you about. Forget you people. I'm going to go to Africa and play with snakes, right? And that's what I was going to do. But it was crazy. As soon as I got surrendered to preach, I didn't want to go to Africa anymore. It was just gone. You know, my mom thought, oh, great, he's going to be a missionary. Nope. Had no desire. That desire was totally taken away, just because it wasn't in God's plan. Now, uh, but I always wondered, why did I learn all this stuff about snakes? You know, God obviously had a plan for my life that did not include biology. Was all of that just a waste of time? And to some degree, it was just a waste of time. But, uh, but anyways, I, I I started thinking about it, and I think though that God actually has used what I had. What I learned when I studied biology, when I went to, even before I got called to preach, when I went to secular college and studied biology in, in college, in the College of Southern Maryland, and uh, uh, God used what I learned to help me understand something that I think that I wouldn't have understood otherwise. Does that make sense? And so I'm, I'm going to try to share that with you. Uh, we're going to look at Second Peter 5.8. Second Peter 5.8. Some of you may know it already. This is a good verse to to kind of memorize and keep in mind. Second Peter 5.8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now, I know it calls him a lion here. Well, he says he walks about as a lion, so he compares him to a lion in the way he goes around. But then it uses that word devour. And this is what made, this is what made me connect the dots with what I'm about to teach you tonight was I looked up what that word devour means. I got curious. I said, what does it mean when the devil devours you? I looked up that word, and that word literally means to gulp entirely. It means to swallow whole. So the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may swallow whole. Does anybody know how a snake eats? Y'all starting to make some connections here? Now, I want you to think about this. And uh, go, uh, uh, if you want to turn to Job, I'm going to jump around a lot, but you can turn to Job and turn to the first chapter. And, uh, and uh, but I'm just going to kind of talk about it. But the verses 6 and 7, if you want to read them there, this is the perfect example. Job gives us the perfect example of what First Second uh, uh, Peter 5, 8 says here when it talks about Satan going about about seeking whom he may devour. Because we have this story of Job, and in verses uh, 6 and 7, oh, you know what? I, had, I am going to read it, but I put my pages in the wrong spot. Sorry. I had, read, y'all want to hear my uh, sob story? The printer at the hotel is not printing right. 
So I printed it, and it was all blurry. Now i got to find Psalm, or Job. Where's Job at? And I printed it, and it was blurry, and I asked our good brother back there in the PA booth if he could print me out another copy, and he obliged. And so then I put the new copy in and put it in the wrong spot, so now I can't see the verses. All that to say this, Job, chapter 1, verses 6. Okay, here we go. I'm there now. Hallelujah. All right, look at verse 6. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down it. You know, that verse says that he walketh about as a roaring lion. Now, he stopped there. The devil stopped there. He didn't say what the next part. He didn't say he was seeking whom he may devour. But God knows what the devil's up to. And look at verse 8. It says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Has thou considered my servant Job? He didn't say he was looking for anybody to consider for anything. He said, I've just been going up and down the earth. Well, God knows what he's doing. We talked about that Sunday morning. He's looking for somebody to, to, to ruin, somebody to hurt, somebody to punish God through. And now, he said, Has thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Look at, we'll read verses 9 through 11. It says, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Has thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and, the substance, uh, is, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And so here he says, uh, you know, uh, so the devil says, I, I was just going up and down the earth. And God says, have you considered Job? And he said, I can't touch Job. You've got a hedge of protection around him. I can't do anything to him. He said, but if you remove that hedge, he's trying to use like reverse psychology or something on God here. You know, he's like, if you take off that hedge, I bet he won't uh, be so uh, 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 such a good guy, you know. And, um, and then God said in verse 12, look at verse 12. It says, and the Lord said unto Satan, behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself, but not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. So God said, you know what, I'll, I'll let you. Go ahead. Everything that he has, this man Job, who was the richest man in the land, godliest man in the land, uh, a, a, a man that everybody looked up, looked up to, and we're just going to say that he was the best Christian around at the time. Okay, This is the example of the epitome of everything you could hope to dream to be. right? And God says, I'm going to let you. Go ahead. Do whatever you want. Just don't touch him. And, so, and then you have, uh, you know, we skip through a little bit. So what happens next, a lot of us know the story already, all his, uh, all his oxen were taken, all his uh, uh, donkeys were taken, uh, all his sheep, I think the Bible says that fire came down and burned them up, from, uh, so just that, that happened, and uh, all the sheep were gone, and the camels were taken, so he lost all of these things, this represented his wealth, you understand, this is all of his substance, what he had. And he lost, in each one of those events, the servants, he had this huge company with all these people working for him, taking care of all this, and these people died. And it would always be one guy who was out there with this crew that was taking care of the camels. One guy would come back and say, this happened, they came and they stole all of them, they killed all the servants, I'm the only one who lived. And that happened over and over and over where he just, one by one, loses everything that he had. Now I'll tell you, this is, uh, this is where as a parent... Uh, this story gets tough. He had ten kids. The Bible says those ten kids were having dinner together, and a wind blew, and the house fell on them and killed them all. And so here's this guy, Job, who has everything, 
And just like that, one after the other, it's all taken away from him. And uh, so this crazy story, but remember, this is what the devil does. In Job verses, uh, one, chapter 1, verse 20, go down to verse 20, it says, Then Job arose and rent his mantle, or you know, tore his clothes off, and shaved his head, and fell down upon the ground, and worshipped, and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Now remember, it says in all of this. That's the things that happened up to this point. So far, he still didn't... He still didn't mess up as God took all these things away. And it's a great example. Obviously, God you know, uses Job in the Christian's life to help us when we go through suffering to realize what Job went through. And it's a great lesson. My point, though, is just to think about what the devil does. Okay? Now, look at this. Turn to chapter 2. Okay, chapter 2. And let's look. It starts the same way. Satan goes before God and... He starts making excuses. Look at verse 4. It says, And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give up for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. Verse 6. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. And so the devil goes back and, you know, Job never sinned. He didn't, he didn't char- sin or charge, charge, or sin or charge God foolishly, and he didn't. Uh, mess up like the devil said he would. And so God said, hey, I thought you said you were going to get this guy to mess up. I thought you said you were going to get this guy to turn on me. He said, well, yeah, well, it's you didn't let me touch him. He still has his health. He can curse you to your face if, if you mess with his health. And, uh, and so God says, all right, just don't kill him. Just don't kill him. You can do whatever you want. Just don't kill him. And so if you know the story, we won't read too many more verses here, but he's covered head to toe in boils. You know, we don't know all of what exactly he went through, but boils all over his body. Possibly leprosy. Leprosy, a flesh-eating disease. I have, uh, what's it called, eczema? I have eczema on my fingers. Well, I got the Band-Aid on here. Uh, I, I was so embarrassed. Uh, uh, yesterday I was preaching, and I'm sitting there holding the Bible and reading. I probably seemed like I was stuttering. I was getting blood on I, my fingers were ripping open while I was preaching. That's disgusting, right? Another, y'all are really going to think I'm weird after tonight. They like snakes and his fingers bleed? Yeah, sorry. And uh, so I was just like, even though you didn't know it until I just told you, I was like embarrassed because my fingers were bleeding. And I, I, I was, anyways, okay, shut up, Bill. Shut up, keep going. All right. And uh, so my point being, though, is that he had leprosy, far worse, far worse. Literally, y'all know this, flesh would fall off, chunks of flesh. You'd lose fingers, you'd lose hands, you'd lose, your nose literally would, would fall off, you know, depending on where the leprosy was affected. And so possibly he had leprosy. Lots of people think he had elephant, elephant paces, however you say it. But, like, um, if you all remember the story of the elephant man, uh, but... um. But, you know, where there would be this massive swelling of parts of the body. And they said that uh, uh, in that time period when that was a a thing that was more common, that that was literally one of the most painful things a person could go through. And so you got Job with boils, possibly leprosy, possibly elephantitis, just in pain, suffering. And he's going through all this. And then this happens. He loses the confidence of his wife. She comes to him and says, Job... Curse God and die. Now, I don't know how she knew it, but that's what the devil said, remember? If, if you hurt him, he'll curse you to your face. And she, whether it was, uh, like I said, losing confidence or just feeling so sorry for him, she wanted it to be over, 
She said, just curse God, get it over with, and die. Wow. How would that feel on top of everything else, right? And then it goes on. His three so-called friends come to suffer and mourn with him. And then they just start making accusations. And we won't uh, spend too much time, but my whole point with reminding you of what happens with Job is just to remind you the devil doesn't just attack you in one area. He wants to gulp entirely. He wants to eat up every possible uh, 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 part of your life. He wants to destroy you physically. He wants to destroy you mentally. He wants to break down your mind. He wants to destroy you spiritually. He wants to destroy your relationships. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your finances. Any place he can find an inroad to hurting you is what he'll exploit. And he wants to gulp entirely. That's how the devil does it. Okay, now, so we're establishing this. And this brings me back to the snakes, okay? And so, snakes eat by swallowing their food whole. They don't take bites like the devil, right? Uh, That old serpent, he swallows whole just like a snake would. He is a snake, right? And so I mused about this. I thought this over and it further developed in my mind. And I've come to a conclusion that not only does Satan eat like a snake, He also kills like a snake. And so, again, I don't want want this to not make sense, so I'm taking extra time to explain this, okay? And so uh, there are three main ways that a snake eats, depending on what kind of snake it is, okay? And so the first kind of uh, way that a snake eats is a snake will swallow its food alive without actually killing it. So here you have a, a type of water snake, and it's eating a tree frog. And that tree frog looks like he is as relaxed as could be. Like he doesn't know he's being eaten right now. But he's not dead. He's alive. He will die inside the snake's stomach. He'll swallow him whole. And so there's snakes that eat this way. Uh, There's snakes that eat worms and bugs and stuff like that. And there's snakes that eat fish. And fish just slide on down, you know, frogs and stuff like that. And then, uh, so that's one way, okay? And I just keep that in mind. So one way a snake kills his food, it just swallows it while it's still alive. Okay, second way a snake eats his food is constriction. All right, and so actually this causes suffocation. What you see right there on the screen, that's a picture of a green anaconda eating a spectacled caiman, a crocodile. That's a snake killing a type of alligator that lives in uh, Venezuela and and, uh, Brazil. And so what he's doing there, and I want you to understand this for a reason, what he's doing there, some people think that it's crushing his food to death. It's not crushing the food to death. The snake can feel the breath of the animal as it breathes, his lungs expanding. And every time that came in there would breathe out, the snake would intentionally squeeze tighter so he couldn't breathe back in. He suffocated him by, by closing his lungs to where he couldn't breathe back in. And then once it dies, he swallows it whole. So there was... Um, uh, there was a documentary crew in uh, Africa one time, and they, they were watching this leopard, and the leopard was stalking some Thompson's gazelle, and then that leopard got real low in the grass, and they were waiting, trying to film it, pouncing, and coming out to get those little Tommies, those gazelles. And uh, they waited and waited and waited, he never popped out. And so the crew went over there, and when they got over there, they found an African rock python with a big old lump in the stomach where that snake had eaten the leopard. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and so, but it's a constrictor. It constricts the food like that. And I had that, that same crazy boa that bit me in the face. One time he bit my arm. 
You say, why would you have it? I didn't keep him after this, by the way. I got rid of him after this one. Uh, but he bit my arm, and he wrapped around my arm like he was going to just eat, eat my whole body, starting arm first, right? And I had to take off my shirt and just kind of yank him off, and then he swallowed about a third of my shirt before he realized, oh, I'm not getting anywhere with this, and regurgitated it back out. He was, I think, he, he something happened to that snake anyways. And uh, uh, so here, here you go, though, you have... Snakes that eat by swallowing whole and snakes that uh, eat by constriction. And then you have uh, snakes that are venomous, they, they, and venomation. So they, they're going to inject you with venom. They're going to inject something with venom. Okay? And so that's actually the only rattlesnake that lives in Connecticut. That's a timber rattlesnake. And you also have uh, copperheads here uh, in Connecticut. And, uh, but it's a little harder to see in that picture, but his fangs are sticking out there. Right in that picture, they have skin surrounding them. The next picture will actually show you the things with the skin pulled back. And that right there on the tip is a drop of venom. And so the way that the venomous snakes kill is, I mean, I know you know this, but let's just think about it a little bit, is they have something poisonous that they put inside of you. And you see a snake that's like this, like a, a rattlesnake like this one, they don't have to go out hunting. They, they smell where an animal travels a lot, like a, a path that a mouse or a rat might follow a lot and it'll just stay there it'll just sit there coil up and wait and they can wait a long time they're very patient and when that mouse or that rat or whatever it is that squirrel comes back down that same path that he's been before all he does is bam one twenty-fifth of a second that snake strikes within one twenty-fifth of a second they have to use special cameras to film it because it's faster than the click of a camera and just like that puts enough venom in it doesn't have to hold it just gets the venom in, lets it go. And then he just follows the smell and finds it dead, waiting for him to eat. And so, anyway, so you say, okay, all right, thanks for the biology lesson, weirdo, right? So what's my point? Why am I telling you all this? It's because I know how snakes eat, and I know the devil's a snake. You understand? I know how snakes eat, and I know the devil's a snake. And so I know that the devil plans to destroy you similarly. You see, I'm speaking to you today because 2 Corinthians says that we are not ignorant of his, his devices. You see, the Bible says we are not, it's not like we don't know what the devil does. God's telling us, you know what the devil does. We don't always acknowledge it. We don't always apply it. But the truth is, is that we're not walking through this life with no way of knowing how he's going to come after us. And I know something today because of what I learned that I'm going to help you learn right now so you can apply it to your Christian walk. So when he comes, the way that we know he's going to do it, by the way, that word uh, uh, device is there. It simply means how he thinks. It means how we know how the devil thinks. We know what he's up to. We know what he's trying to do. We know he's looking for someone to destroy. We know he wants to destroy everything about you. And we know that he's a snake. And we even know how snakes eat. So... I know that uh, I know what he's thinking. I know he wants to devour you. I just said all those things, didn't I? All right. And so, so who is the devil looking to destroy? That verse says that the, the, the Satan walked about his war line, seeking whom he may devour. So let's turn that into a question. Let's rephrase it. Who is he trying to devour? Who is he trying to devour? We know how he eats. We know what he eats. You know, who is he trying to devour? Well, number one, he's trying to find someone to destroy. It's going to be someone who's not combative. Someone who's not combative. And all three of these start with a C. 
and it's from what we just talked about, the different ways that a snake kills, okay? Someone not, that's not combative, that's an easy target. That's someone that doesn't put up a fight. Listen, when a snake goes and grabs a toad, that toad doesn't have teeth. That toad doesn't have horns. He doesn't have poisonous barbs. He doesn't have anything, you understand? He doesn't have a stinger. He doesn't have a, a scorpion tail. He doesn't have little fangs. He has nothing to attack or hurt that snake with. The snake doesn't have to kill him. He just swallows him because he doesn't put up a fight. He, he causes no threat to the snake. You understand that here's a, here's a truth that is sad to say. A lot of people, a lot of Christians are easy targets. You don't even put up a fight. Now, I want you to think about this. Ephesians chapter 6. If you want to turn there, you can. I'm only going to read one verse, but I'm just going to talk uh, uh, from my outline about the, the, the um, armor of God. But Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 11, it says, Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Why would God say, Hey, you need to put on the armor of God to stand against the wiles of the devil? Because if you don't, you're an easy target. He's going to come after you. He's going to come after your family. He's going to come after your walk with God. He's going to come after your church. He's going to come after your pastor. He's going to come after your relationships. He's going to come after your children. He's going to come after your parents. He's going to come after whatever he can try to get his hands on. And if you go through life with nothing to fight back, nothing to protect yourself, you're going to be an easy target. That's why God says you need to put on the whole armor of God. And then he goes through it in the text there. He talks about the belt of truth. And, and uh, this, the armor of God is a great study topic that we really could go a lot into, but just, just to briefly just go over it, you got this belt of truth, and there's a lot of application there, but the truth should be around everything that you do. You understand that belt goes around you, and that belt kind of brings the whole outfit together, so to speak, and it should all be in the truth. You know, there's a lot of self-help books out there and stuff, and there's a lot of people who have great ideas, but the truth is the Word of God is the truth. And whatever we're going to do it's got to be done in truth. You understand? And I will put, we'll talk about the other things, the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, feet shod with the preparation of gospel of peace. All those things are inside of that belt of truth. And we have to be truth-based. And I love Pastor who was talking last night to me, and he was talking about just different preachers, and he was just saying how he just loves it, whether it's from him or somebody else, when people come to the truth. Because that's what it's all about. You have that belt of truth. You have the breastplate of righteousness. And there's a lot that could be said about it, but just to think about this, that breastplate protect, protects your microphone. No, the breastplate protects your heart. You understand? You need to protect your heart because Satan will try to get in your heart because your deceitful, deceptive, desperately wicked heart can cause a lot of problems. So you've got that breastplate of righteousness, right, that's blamelessness, okay? Bless, breastplate of righteousness is having what's right in your heart, okay? And so then he goes on, the gospel shoes. And I love that, the feet uh, 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 shod with whatever I just said a minute ago. I got it the first time. I messed up now. Now, preparation of the gospel piece. Okay, there we go. All right, think about this. Wherever I go, I'm taking the gospel with me. You understand Why? Why? Because that's like keeping the main thing the main thing. And if you're not doing that, the devil says, oh, look, there's another easy target. He doesn't even know why God left him here. You do understand that, right? You got saved and God left you here. That's because there's somebody else that needs to get saved. He's expecting you to tell him. 
He could have got you saved and just took you right out of there. I love what Paul said in the New Testament. He was talking about being stuck in the twix between two, and he's making this thing where he said, I really want to go home. He said, I would like to go with, be with Christ, which is far better. He said, it's way better, but for me to stay is needful for you. He said, I'm going to stay here because you need me. Not because I want to be here. I want to be with Christ, but you need me. And he told the people there that, and I think that's the attitude we should have. I'm here, and my feet are shy with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and that needs to be wherever I go, the gospel goes with me. I got my soul winning shoes on. He that winneth souls is wise. You know, there's a great verse for you to apply to any area of your life. And, I'm, I, folks, this is a big part of my ministry. I was talking with my brother back there tonight. We were... We had dinner together, and he was asking me questions about our ministry. Our ministry, we have three E's. We stole it from somebody else, but uh, we have three E's, and it's encourage, equip, and evangelize. I want to see people saved. I want to help other. I want to equip. I want to help other people see people saved, and I want to encourage you to do it. And so uh, that's our three E's, right? My wife actually came up with it. Good job, Shell. All right, um, but. Uh, if folks, if we're not doing that, you know, the Bible says, He that winneth souls is wise. He that winneth souls is wise. You say, man, I really need wisdom with how to raise my kids. Go soul in it. I really need wisdom with what to do with my finances. Go soul in it. And you say, what does that have to do with it? I don't know, but God said that if you go soul in it, you'll have wisdom. Why don't you just trust God, go soul in it, and see how he blesses. And, um, and uh, I, I believe that. I think it's a, a huge part of it. The shield of faith. The shield of faith, first line of defense, uh, uh, is shield. So the idea here is, is that when this attack comes, I have faith, and that faith I'm going to put out in front of me. Now, if something gets past it, I got my breastplate. If something gets past it, I got my helmet. But I'm going to actively try to stop you because I believe. That's what I'm holding out there in front of me, and that's that faith. Uh, the helmet of salvation, think like you're saved. I don't remember. Did you know Neil Edgerton? <laughs> I remember one day working. We used to work, you know, college, and she, she, she thinks we're crazy. We used to work all night and then barely sleep and get up and go to classes and then be in the ministry all weekend and probably damage our health and shorten our lifespan and dumb things like that. But, but we would do that, and, I mean, I was struggling. I was struggling. I was tired. I was sleeping like two and a half hours a night. I was working, doing classes, and I was struggling. And I come in. I'm in the lobby, and I'm like, like carrying myself to the to to go to my job, and here comes Neil, this guy, and uh, and he just I remember a Southern Virginia had that real Southern voice, and he just looked, hey man, you better tell your face you're saved, and I thought, man, you're lucky I'm too tired to kill you right now, <laughs> you're lucky I'm too tired to tell my face I'm saved. I was so tired, and uh, but uh, but the truth is, is that this helmet of salva- helmet of salvation, we need to think like we're saved. We need to think like, I am a child of God. You understand? I am a child of God. And the father of this world, the devil, wants to destroy me. I cannot think like the world does. I have to think like a child of God. I've been born again. And you see, all these things come together, and then you have that sword of faith. And that's the word of God to fight back. You understand that I, you know... You may not be an aggressive person. You don't have to be a type A personality, but you better understand that God didn't say don't. God never said just protect yourself. He said protect yourself and fight back. You understand? We have a sword. The sword is not for our defense. The sword is to fight back and to punch 
uh, punch uh, 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 holes in the darkness out there and to uh, 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 try to be a positive and to be salt in this world, to be light in this dark world. And uh, we, we have to fight back. Now, uh, you know, it, sometimes in um, my, uh, my uh, not, not so godly pastime of watching UFC fights, Sometimes in the, uh, uh, you know, if you poke somebody in the eye, you're not allowed to do that, right? And so sometimes if, if two fighters are fighting and somebody puts their hand out and just kind of pokes somebody in the eye, the ref will stop it for a second. And they'll say, hey, well, hold on, hold on, you're all right? Because, you know, you don't want to damage the eye, you know? And they'll, you'll, they'll give them like up to six minutes to, to, to go and, and make sure their eye's okay, you know? You might get a poke and it'll just cause enough blurriness to make you not be able to protect yourself. But before the fight ever starts, the ref will always say, guys, Protect yourself at all times. Protect yourself at all times. And I've seen before, even though with the ref warning, even though these are professional athletes that train to do this, even with the ref warning, sometimes a guy will get an eye poke and the ref doesn't see it. And he says, whoa, stop, stop, stop. And the ref's like, why? Protect yourself at all times. And the other guy realized this guy got poked and the ref didn't see it. And he goes and he just starts laying into him and he knocks the guy out. And he's like, he did I poke? And the ref said, I told you, protect yourself at all times. You should have covered up. You shouldn't have been looking at me. You should have been protecting yourself at all times. And you understand that this idea of the armor of God is that we need to be protecting ourselves at all times. Because when we do not, the devil says, ah, easy target. Easy target. I'm going to eat them up. I'm going to take everything they got. They don't have no way of stopping me. They're not protecting themselves. Number two. So the first thing, he's looking for someone who is non-combative, who doesn't fight back. He's looking for someone, number two, someone who is not consistent. Someone who is not consistent. And uh, the truth is, is that he just, he just tries to wear you down over time. The devil is patient. And for him, a lot of times, he can, he can look at you and he knows. Look, you got to understand, he's got like 6,000 years experience. Okay, He's got like 6,000 years of experience on earth just watching people, messing with people. And he can probably show up anywhere and, and have everybody pegged as soon as he gets there. And he can say, that guy's not going to fight at all. That guy's not going to fight at all. This guy might fight, but he won't fight for long. This guy might fight, but he won't fight for long. I just have to wear him down. He will give up. You understand that when we are not consistent, when we are not consistent, we get worn down. You need to be consistent, okay? And so Matthew 6, 11, I just, this is a great, hey, someday you should do a Bible study. I just threw a couple of them up there. You should just do a word study on the word daily. See what God talks about, things that happen daily in the Bible. I'm just going to give you a couple of examples of that. Uh, Matthew 6, 11 says, give us this day our daily bread. What was that? What was that from? Does anybody remember? That's the Lord's prayer. Hey, he was asking for bread daily, which means he was praying daily. Not only was he praying daily, he was trusting in God's provision, daily bread. He said, every day I'm going to have needs from you. Every day, I'm going to come to you for those needs. There's a bunch of verses you could. There's a, I love in uh, uh, Psalms and uh, in Proverbs and Psalms when it talks about uh, you know seeking God early. I think that every day the Bible teaches us we need to seek God in prayer. Every day we need that uh, daily bread. Uh, Luke 9:23 says, and he said unto, the, uh, said unto them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. 
daily and follow me. It's very similar to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. He said, I protest by your rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. He was following the instructions of Christ. What is it? That's dying to self daily. You understand, if I start getting up and I say, I'm not going to put Phil in check and give God his rightful place, when we start doing that, the devil says, oh, he's getting close. He's going to wear down. He doesn't realize how weak he is. He needs God daily. But today, he didn't die to self. Today, he went out in his own strength. Today, he went out in his own power. Today, he went out trusting himself. Today, he didn't seek from me what he needs for today, his daily bread. Today, he didn't come to me in prayer. He's wearing down because he's inconsistent. Look at this, uh, another one. Uh, Acts 17.11, I love this. Uh, these were more noble. It talks about this church of Thessalonica. It says these were more, I mean, uh, uh, Berea. It says these were more noble than those of Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Everything that they questioned, they said, well, why question it? Let's look and see what the Bible says. <laughs> Everything that they, every, all the matters of life, it said that daily they said, well, What's it say? Daily in the Word. Daily in the Word. What happens when we get away from that consistency, that consistent walk with God, when we're not reading our Bible and we're not praying? And you know what it illustrated greatly? Right here. This is a, this is a bit of a sad indictment on us. And, I, and truthfully, you know, I know I've heard so many good reports how through COVID, you know, people were still faithful to give. Not just here, but I'm talking about uh, uh, from churches I've been to and pastors I've talked to, how people were faithful to give and how people would get online week after week after week and they would say something so the pastor knew they were there. And those things are great and encouraging, but I've also heard this. So-and-so went to church for years. We've been open back up for a while now and they still haven't come back. And it makes you wonder, you know, if COVID never happened, would they still be in every single service? All they needed was to get used to not going. And I guarantee that there's people in this room who can testify that, you know what, you're right, it got easier to miss. I got used to it during COVID. I got used to it during COVID. We were told we had to stay home. And now it's like, I don't really feel like going, but nobody's going to be mad if I'm not there. We, we weren't in church for months. And just like that, we, make the, we let ourselves. And that right there is the wearing down of inconsistency. And I think that we've all experienced that to some degree uh, through this ordeal. Hebrews 13.3 says, But exhort one another daily. While it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. But I love that we're told every day to lift each other up. And this is a great thought. There's so many more things that we could talk about daily, right? And just the idea. And the reason I point out that word daily is just because of, again, consistency, consistency, consistency. But do you know what else it says? It says that every day, Pastor, you need to lift somebody else up. Do you know why? Because they might not have been consistent. And then tomorrow you might be consistent, but they might not. So you need to lift them up. You understand, God knows what he's doing when he tells us, hey, you need to read your Bible every day. You need to pray every day. You need to walk with me every day. You need to trust me every day. And every day you need to encourage somebody else to do the same. And after you've been the encourager, you might get to a point where you're the needer of, I don't think it's a word, needer. You're in need of encouragement. And that person that you help keep going is going to turn around and help you. You see, and God says, y'all need to stay consistent at this thing. 
You've got to stay consistent because when you don't, he says, ah, I'm squeezing. Now I'm going to squeeze. I feel him breathing out a little bit. I'm going to squeeze tighter. You know what? He's not going to be able to breathe back in. He's not going to be able to. Look, he already missed three days of his Bible reading. He ain't going to read it tomorrow. He already, he's gone all week without prayer. Seven days without prayer makes one week. Ever see that? Whatever. Squeeze a little tighter. Squeeze a little tighter. Squeeze a little tighter. And that inconsistency allows him to put you in a position where you don't have anything else left to fight with. First thing he's doing is he's looking. Oh, no, you know what? I got more. Uh, I got more I want to say about that. Sorry. So, yeah, I, there's five areas that as soon as I started going to church, there's five areas that I was always told to be consistent in. Some of those are kind of illustrated in these verses. But those five areas, I just want to make sure I say them. One, you already, uh, I'm sure you picked up on prayer. We need to pray every day. We need to be consistent in prayer. I believe in having seasons of prayer, Pastor. I'm sure you've experienced times when you go to pray and it's like, God, are you there? But you've also had times when you go and you just enter into his presence and it's so sweet and you don't even have to talk. You just know he's right there. doesn't matter if the prayer is like that where you can almost feel God next to you, inside of you and all around you. Or if it's prayer where you're like uh, Job was when he said, I, I backed up and he wasn't there. I went to my left and my right. He wasn't there. I couldn't find him anywhere. But either way, we still keep going to God in prayer. Bible reading. Bible reading is one of those things. And it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's one of those things where it, it is easy. And, and if you follow a Bible reading schedule and it's like you read through Genesis and it's all these cool stories, right? <laughs> And you read through Exodus, and it's all these cool stories. And then you get into Leviticus, and you're starting to be like, okay, some of this, this law stuff is a little heavy, right? And uh, in Exodus and Leviticus, the, the, the retelling of the law and all. And then, you know, you get the numbers, and you're like, well, there goes my Bible reading for the year, right? I'm, I'm done. And it's so hard. And, and, and what I've learned, though, is that don't try to catch up. I'm telling you, I've had times when I've opened up my Bible and I didn't feel like reading, I didn't want to read, and I've gotten behind on my schedule. And you know what I do? I just flip over to the book of Hebrews. I have no idea why, but ever since I started reading the Bible, I just love the book of Hebrews. And when I don't want to read the Bible, I just read Hebrews. I've read Hebrews probably more than any other book in the Bible just because I like it. And that's better than being inconsistent in my Bible reading. And I'm going to tell you this, sometimes we read the Bible, even with kids, you know, we try to tell the kids to read the Bible, and you say, well, they don't understand it, and sometimes you feel that, and everybody in here has done that. You could read the Bible, like, I don't even know what it's talking about, and you go through, you get to the end of the scripture, and then you realize, I've been thinking about something else the whole time, but just listen, I'm going to tell you an illustration, I know it's a little cheesy, but just bear with me, okay? There's this farmer, he has his little grandson on the farm. And, his, and he was trying to teach his grandson this lesson. And uh, he said, son, take this bucket and go down to the river. This is a good ways down to the river. Fill the bucket up with water and bring it back to me. And he hands him this bucket, and this bucket is all dirty. This bucket has holes in it. This bucket is disgusting. Like you wouldn't even let the pig eat out of this bucket. This bucket's that bad. And his grandson's like, are you sure? You want me to go get water in this bucket? He's like, yeah, that's what I told you to go get it. So the boy runs down there, and he gets water, and he runs back up. By the time he gets back up there, all the water spilled out before he got halfway up the hill. And he goes to the grandpa and says, hey, I did it. And he said, well, go do it again. He's like, but the grandpa, go get to go do it again. 
And he runs down there to the water and he fills that bucket up with water and he runs back up. All the water spills out. Over and over, the grandpa makes him go down there and get water and bring that water back. And over and over, he does it until finally he's frustrated. He says, Grandpa, why am I doing this? I can't hold water in a bucket that has holes in it. I'm not getting any water from the river because the bucket has holes in it. And the grandfather says, yes, but look in the bucket. It's clean now. You see, you don't always retain the Word of God, but the Word of God will clean you out. It'll wash you inside in ways that you don't understand in the moment, but you just be consistent. Number three, the devil's looking for someone who is not contrite. He's looking for someone who's not combative, somebody who's not going to fight. He's looking for somebody who's not consistent. He's going to wear you down. And he's looking for somebody who's not contrite. And what that means, he's looking for somebody whose sin doesn't bother them. You see, that third way a snake eats is he gets that poison inside of you. He doesn't have to do anything after that. Once that poison gets inside of you, it kills you from the inside. Some of us, and some Christians, we get to a point where their sin doesn't bother us. You know what that does? That poisons us from the inside. And you may be thinking right here, uh, that uh, I'm talking about like smoking and drinking and cursing and, and, and you know, watching bad stuff and immodesty. I, that is not what I'm talking about. I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of those issues, it is sin. Don't get me wrong about that. A lot of those issues, those are symptoms. Those are symptoms. That's what starts happening on the outside because something ain't right on the inside. The venom is the sin in your heart. The Bible makes, there's so many, anytime the Bible gives a, list, gives a list, you should probably stop and study that list and take, take note to it. We're going to go over a list tomorrow night, Lord willing. I just wrote down some random ones that are, you find out throughout the New Testament and Old Testament. Ingratitude. Not being thankful. You know, we, 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 this is something that I really struggle with, and I'm going to be a little transparent here. I struggle with this. My wife is a great help and a blessing to me in this area, but I am bothered by this, this gender stuff. I am really bothered by it. Okay, I have, uh, I have, uh, my brother, my, my, I'm in order after me, uh, I'm the oldest of my, of all my siblings, but then I have Danny, who's an MMA fighter, that's why I get so into it, he, he does all that stuff. Danny, and Brian, and then I had my sister Tara. Well, my sister Tara is no longer my sister Tara. She wants me to call her Andrew. She no longer looks like a she. And this stuff bothers me, okay? I had one sister. I got, I got other brothers, Tristan, Travis, Trevor. got two uh, stepbrothers, Brucey and Rusty. So I got all these brothers that had one sister, and I cherished it because I had my one sister. And now I don't have a sister anymore. At least that's what she wants me to believe. And these things bother me. You understand, the whole idea of, of, of homosexuality, it does bother me. And my wife is, is, is uh, so good with this because she reminds me that those are people who Jesus died for. He loves them like he loves us. And I don't need to be angry at them. I need to care. I need to pray for them. I need to witness to them. I need to share with them the love of God. And I need to not think myself better than them. But you understand, when you read Romans 1 and you end with this sin of sodomy, 
and how much you can see in, in Romans chapter 1, how much it bothers God to where God says, I can't even look at his, the Bible says uh, that God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do that which is inconvenient. God said, I'm going to give you, I can't even, I'm putting you out of my mind. You are excluded from my thinking. I can't look at it. I can't deal with it. You know what it started with? They weren't thankful. Read, the big, read Romans chapter 1 later. Ingratitude. You see, our ingratitude, and it's uh, we live in America, we have so much. I try to tell my boys this all the time. They'll eat more sometimes in one day than other kids will eat all week. They'll throw away more food in one day than other kids will eat in a week. And we're so used to being the land of plenty. It makes us very ungrateful for all these blessings we have. And we're sitting here talking about that crowd out there that's ruining America. No. That's our fault. Because we didn't reach them. That's our fault because we didn't go out there as salt. That's our fault because we didn't go out there as light. That's on us. My, uh, 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 you know, the, the, the verse that we always use is that if my people, which are called by my name, it's on us. Maybe the reason is, is not because we're a bunch of ungodly uh, Baptists. Maybe it's because we're ungrateful Baptists. That's poisoned us from the inside out. Covetousness, desiring gain over good. I'm going to run through these other ones a little bit quicker. Covetousness is wanting things for gain over good. Gain over good. That's a dangerous thing the Bible talks about. Lust, that's desires that you can't righteously fulfill. Wanting things that if you were to do that thing, that would be sin. You say, but I never did it. Jesus said you don't have to. You do it in your heart, you're still guilty. And How many of us have lust, desire in our heart that we can't righteously fulfill? We can't do it without sinning. And that poisons us from the inside. You have envy. That's desires that cause spite. That's seeing somebody else that has a car that you like and you want it, but because you want it, you don't like the person that has it. You understand, that's a poison that we, Christians, have to deal with. All these are. Hate. You know, it's, it's crazy. Even if you look it up, you know, you got examples in the Bible. You know, uh, uh, God said, uh, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. And then... Uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob had two wives, Leah and Rachel, my right hand. And it says that he loved Rachel and hated Leah. He had four kids with Leah. He didn't hate her that much. Right? Okay. It means to love less. When you, even when you look up the, the, the root word, it means to love less. You understand that it is a sin for us to love less than we should. That's hate. And hate, you now you think hate is, is always the extreme that Jesus even gave the example of, of wanting to kill somebody. Sometimes it's just not loving people the way that we should. You know, earlier today, this young lady over here came and was asking me bus ministry questions, and I wish I had something for, I just like started trying to think of something, but you know what? I took it as, here's somebody who wants to better know how to love those people. You know what it would be to not want to better know how to love? It would be to love less. It would be hate. And folks, that's killing us. That's killing when 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 I'm agitated and irritated at a crowd that I think is ungodly. I need to be careful because loving them less 
is going to poison me. You see that? I am trying to close here. He didn't. He, uh, Sunday morning, he told me what time it had to be done. Sunday night, he told me what time it had to be done. Tonight, he did not tell me what time it had to be done. I might just take some liberties, brother. Oh, my phone just buzzed. Am I, somebody texted me telling me what time to be done. Sorry. I usually leave that with my wife. But, um, okay. All right. Sorry. Hate. Anger. Anger is desiring for someone else's harm. That is what we were talking about there. You know, that, that, is, that is murdering people in your heart and pride. Thinking that you don't need God. Now, just think about this. Okay, we're going to conclude all this. Pride, I've heard it said a lot, you know, several different ways, but if I just try to make it as simple as I can, pride is just thinking that you don't need God. Just thinking that you don't need God. Thinking, it's your thinking that excludes God. You know, like we talked about that verse, that in all things he might have the preeminence. God wants to be involved in every part of your mind, your heart, your soul, your body. God wants to be a part of it all. And pride is when you start saying, no, I don't want you in here with me. I got this. That pride, remember, that's the pride. What did the devil do that was so bad? Did he take over heaven? No. But he thought it. In his mind, he said, God, you're not everything. I could be like you. I can put my throne right up there where yours is. That's that pride. I'll eat this fruit because then I can be like God. Like you don't need him. <sighs> pride is caring more what you want than what God wants. And I'll just tell you this, that pride is what I sometimes call a root sin. That's just my own term because I think about stuff like, I remember in the chapel there, I, we, we would have different leadership meetings. And, and I remember one Sunday or Saturday morning, I pulled up for a meeting with a couple of you guys. And I pulled up and I had a laptop in my car. I pulled up in front of the building and I had the laptop bag sitting there. That's dumb on me, but I just I was late for the meeting, brother. I ran in to lead the lead the team. Fifteen minute meeting. Fifteen minutes minutes later, I come out, window smashed, laptop gone, and I remember that feeling of, uh, you know, like helplessness in that situation. I hate that. I hate that feeling. I, can I? Are we honest? Can we honestly, you know, say that we? Yeah, we hate that feeling. Like, but here's a thought. What is it in your mind that makes you think it's okay to destroy and steal my property? Because my brain doesn't work that way. You know what I mean? I like your tie, but that's your tie. I can't have that tie. It's not mine. To me, that just makes sense. I was uh, 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 17, 18. I worked at McDonald's, and um, uh, I had stopped there to see friends. I wasn't working that night, but I had stopped there to see uh uh, the people there just say say hi, and I'm standing there just talking to them across the register, and uh, somebody comes in the far door, and I look over and I say, hmm, his face looks kind of funny. His face looks like it has a stocking over it. <laughs> his face does have a stocking over it. What's he pointing at me? That looks like a gun. That is a gun. We're being robbed. And he, and just before that in D.C., they a guy robbed D.C. and put everybody in the freezer and shot him. And I'm thinking. This is how I die at McDonald's when I wasn't even working. Pushes us all in the back. The manager, like, hid behind the ice cream maker, and, and when we went behind it or past it, she runs out the front door and just leaves us all to die, you know. 
get in the back, and then he just kicks the back door open and runs off. But I remember the feeling of, I can't believe, why does he think it's okay to violate me in this way, to threaten my life? I don't understand it. Why does anybody do that? Well, because somewhere in his heart there was pride that said, I can do what I want to do, and I don't care what anybody else thinks about it. That pride in a Christian's heart will destroy us just the same. You know, uh, if you read in Ecclesiastes, and I'm done here, but you read in Ecclesiastes, we won't turn there, but that's Solomon, the wisest man, the wisest man outside of Jesus to ever walk the earth. And he talks about how he gave his life to learn things. But he also tried to learn things that he shouldn't learn because in his own pride of knowing how wise he was, he thought that end result of those sins wouldn't affect him the same way. And after he gave his life to know wisdom and folly, the Bible says this, and he says, he says uh, in Ecclesiastes, he says, Even as it happeneth unto the fool, it happened to me. You see, we can, we're not excluded from the result of these poisons. And these poisons will destroy us from the inside. In many ways, it all comes back to some pride, to some poison, to some bitterness. We'll talk about that tomorrow, hopefully. That gets inside and poisons us from the outside. Why would somebody do this or that? Why would they steal? Why would they cheat? Why would they harm themselves? Why would they harm others? Is it because they're bad that they go out and they do these things? It's because something got in their heart that poisoned them from the inside. And the devil says, I can just wait now. I don't have to destroy you. You're going to destroy yourself. He goes after people who don't fight back. He goes after people who are inconsistent. And he goes after people who he can get poisoned into your heart of some pride, of some hurt, of some, some uh, personal desire you have, some covetousness, some envy, some desire. And he lets it kill you slowly. First, First Corinthians 9.27, Paul said this, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now, that was Paul who affected more people for God than anybody else we can practically think of, right? Turned the whole world upside down. And, and, and a, in a human way, American churches are here because he took the gospel to Europe. You know, in a, in a, in a roundabout way, we're here because of Paul, humanly. You understand that? And he said, I have to bring myself I have to control myself. I have to die daily. I have to constantly watch myself. I have to fight back. I have to put on the whole armor of God. I have to be consistent. I have to protect my heart from anger. I have to protect my heart from pride. I have to protect my heart from covetousness and lust and envy. I have to do this every single day. I have to do it because if I don't do it, even though I told others how to live for God, I myself will become the rejected, unwanted Waste material left over after Satan swallows me whole. The message was simple. (laughs) Don't be snake food. Amen.